0: Good to be here, good to, uh, actually it's uh, three weeks since I was here in Chichester, um, having preached this message in Bognor and haven't, so it's really good to be back as I feel home amongst my uh, uh, own congregation. And uh, we're in this 10-week series of our, our values, and the values that we hold dear as a church And I I guess there could be loads more, but we we actually settled for for, for 10 foundational values, which represent the sort of church that we are. And we've covered a few things already. A few weeks ago, uh, Joe spoke upon the Word, saying that we are a church of the Word. In other words, we believe that the Bible is foundational to all that we believe, and we take the Bible seriously. Now, you'll find that churches like ours, sometimes they're called Word and Spirit churches, which in some ways is a bit of a misnomer because if we are a church of the Word, then we must be a church of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is active throughout all of the Scriptures So we as a church want to hold dear to everything that the the, the Bible tells us. And we are looking at wanting to be a church where the Holy Spirit leads us in everything, in every aspect of our lives. You know, personally, as a church, decisions which we make, um, in our leading, in our praying, even in terms of how we decide on a, a teaching series like this we as a leadership team would be looking to the Holy Spirit to, to guide us and to lead us. So we're looking at that this morning, and it's great that Terry is going to be coming in a couple of weeks' time, because I do believe it's an area where God wants to continue to fill us, and us to know the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's something we need continually to press into. So I guess it starts off with a, perhaps a bit of an obvious question of who is the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is mentioned, as I say, throughout Scripture. Right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, you see the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was involved right at the beginning in creation, as was the Father and as was the Son. And Jesus himself gives a lot more emphasis to the work of the Holy Spirit, and we see that as we go through the Gospels. So, We're going to look at a few scriptures as we work through this this morning, and we'll start off with John 14, verse 16 to 17, where Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now there are certain words you won't find in Scripture. You won't find the word Trinity in Scripture. Yet there's evidence of the Trinity—Father, Son, Holy Spirit—throughout Scripture. And this is one of these classic uh, Trinitarian passages, if you like, Trinitarian verses, where Jesus is saying, he, Jesus, the Son of God, is going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to be amongst them and be with him. So right at the outset, we see who is the Holy Spirit. He is God. He is as much God as the Father and as the Son. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples here in perhaps one of the longest uh, discourses recorded here in John's Gospel. And it's not long before Jesus is arrested and put to death on the cross. And now he's promising that the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit His disciples, all who follow him from that moment and throughout history, until Jesus returns, he's promising, you're not going to be left alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And it's one of the most incredible promises in Scripture. A promise that God is going to send his Holy Spirit to live and to dwell with us. God himself amongst his people. That is an incredible promise which which Jesus made. And... um, the Holy Spirit is not just some impersonal force. I struggle when I, people, I hear people praying. Here's a confession. I struggle when I hear people praying and they say, Won't you uh, send the Holy Spirit that it will be at work amongst us? No, the Holy Spirit is not an it, He's not a force. I, I'm, um, I love Star Wars. I don't know if any of you guys love Star Wars. I'm one of these people who's a bit of a geek when it comes to things like Star Wars and sci-fi. Um, I, we've got some uh, lightsabers at home, and Joel and I, we, uh, we battle lightsabers up and, down, up and down the stairs, and we, we have a lot of fun together. Uh, I enjoy Star Wars, but it winds me up. When the Jedi turn round to each other and say, "The Force be with you," and you're almost expecting this response, "And with thy spirit," which is an expression you will hear heard in the formal church. You know, the the, the Holy Spirit is not a force; He's a person. He is a person. He a person of a relationship, a person of personality, and it's not just any person. We've just seen it. He's God. Three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father is and as the Son is. And he comes not as a force, but as a person. And he comforts and he empowers and he reveals more of Jesus as we've experienced this morning, his, his work amongst us. He glorifies Jesus and he helps us in our praying. He's the spirit of truth as we hear here. So when we're reading the scriptures, the spirit brings to light the truth of God's word. So Jesus assures his disciples that they're not going to be left alone, but that they must have wondered what on earth was going on. Because not long after Jesus makes this promise, talking to his disciples, he is arrested. And then not only is he arrested, he's next convicted and he's put to death on a cross. And they've had this amazing promise that they're not going to be left alone. And now they're more alone than they've ever been. Jesus is no longer there. The Holy Spirit is not there. The disciples must have wondered what on earth is going on with these promises. And yet, as we see throughout Scripture, God always, always keeps his promises. Always keeps his promises. Even when it feels like they're so far away from being fulfilled. And he promises that the Holy Spirit will live in us. And he promises that to his disciples. Now, we are so privileged because we're the side of the cross where we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, where we are assured he lives in us. He lives in us as people, you and me. And... There's this fantastic assurance for us that the Holy Spirit lives in us. But for the disciples at the time, they must have wondered what on earth was happening because Jesus wasn't with them. He just died and the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been poured out. So as we move forward through Scripture, what happens? Well, Jesus does die, but praise God, as we've been singing this morning about our great salvation, he rises from the dead and he rises again and then he starts revealing himself to his disciples. Holy Spirit still not yet poured out, but he's made this promise. And then we look in, in Acts chapter 1 verse is 4 to 5 and this is one of those occasions where Jesus has appeared again to his disciples. And he says this, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would live in us. He'd made this promise, and he he reaffirms this promise again. Now that he's risen from the dead and he's appeared to them, he's reaffirming this promise. You're not going to be left alone. Oh, well, perhaps Jesus is right, because actually he's come back. But we like Jesus being around, but he goes on to say, actually, it's... it's, uh, It's good for you that I go away because if I didn't go away, I wouldn't send the Holy Spirit. But he's promising again, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised that, that he would live within us. And he uses different expressions to to show how the spirit, Spirit works. And here he says that the disciples would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus says this, you'll be baptised in the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about baptism in water. When you became a believer and you put your trust in Christ and you said, I am going to follow Jesus, then you and I, if you've done that, you got baptised. I got baptised, went right underneath the water, came back out, and it's, an exp- it's identification with Christ, death, and resurrection when we go into the water and back out. We are baptised into Christ when we are baptised in water. But he says here you're going to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? It means that in the same way when you are drenched with water and go right underneath the water, so this promise you will be baptised, you will be drenched in the Holy Spirit. Now, a few weeks ago... Um, when we had the tr- tremendous downpours, uh, we were in the car around the back of Tesco's, and there were, suddenly the heavens just opened, and it poured, and it poured. And there were all these, uh, uh, these kids coming out of Bishop Luffer in their school uniforms. And it's not cool to have an umbrella. <laughs> I didn't see any umbrellas. It's not cool to wear a Mac Didn't see any Macs. It's cool to get drenched in your school uniform. And boy, were they drenched. They had their red blazers, blazers, their shirts. You can see they're drenched the skin. And some of them are putting up their blazers. But whatever they did, they could not help it. They were drenched. And God wants to drench us in his Holy Spirit. That's what baptism means. Getting totally drenched. We need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit in the same way. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus promises these things and he wants to fulfil them in our lives. And he tells the disciples, wait, come on, wait in Jerusalem and you will uh, receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we move forward. Acts 2, 1-4 When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... God's promise is fulfilled. There's all these disciples been waiting in the upper room and then suddenly the Holy Spirit descends upon them. And this ramshackle group of disciples, you know, Peter, impetuous Peter, who always gets it wrong, puts his foot in it, says the wrong thing at the wrong time. The one who denies Jesus three times. Suddenly, the, God himself pours out his Spirit upon them. They speak in other languages. There's those around who hear them speaking in their own language. There's a miraculous work of, uh, of God happening as the Spirit is poured out. Miraculous things going on. And as you read on, watching uh, what's, what's going on, the more hearing, uh, you know, people gathered around hearing, their own language spoken as the disciples are speaking in tongues, suddenly we see there's from 120 in this upper room, 3,000 are added. And I love the book of Acts because as you read through the book of Acts, you see the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, the church growing and, and seeing God at work amongst them, amazing outpouring of the Spirit of God. This was a powerful, dynamic, Spirit-filled people. And this is the sort of people that we long to be as a church. We long to be a church where we are filled with the Spirit of God, where we are experiencing His power. And the promise of the Holy Spirit was for all who believe, and it's not time limited, it's not geographic limited, the condition is for all who believe. So let's read on, Acts 2 verses 38 to 39. And the disciples, the people around who are suddenly hearing all these expressions of what God is doing from Peter, and they're hearing it in their own languages, they cry out, what must we do to be saved? And here's what Peter says, repent And be baptised in water, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Which we've been singing about this morning, that our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. It's so important for us. If you are a believer... If you've repented and you followed Christ, there's a promise here for you that you will receive the Holy Spirit, that he will live in you, that he will live in me, that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a promise for all who are far off, far off in time, far off in distance, all who call upon the name of the Lord. So don't disqualify yourself. So often people will say, oh, I'm too sinful We heard this from Ian this morning. I've let God down. You know, salvation is a free gift. And so is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And a gift that's not earned, but freely given. And the Holy Spirit is just a wonderful gift to us believers in Grace Church here today. A wonderful gift to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a promise to each and every one of us. And it's a gift which is free. It's not earned. We we as a family, we seem to have a birthday virtually every month of the year in our family. We've got 11 grandchildren. And what the family do, we've got a WhatsApp group. And so on the WhatsApp group, when it's a birthday of one of one of the grandchildren... They all say to happy birthday and they sing these songs and they seem to say, come out the same thing every time. Hope you get lots of good presents. Hope you get everything you want. It seems to be the standard pattern in our family. Hope you get lots of good presents. The thing is, they know they're going to get good presents and the thing is, they know they're going to get good presents whether they've been good or bad. And Father Christmas, have you been good at Christmas? No, you get, you get presents as a free gift. Not dependent upon what you've done, but because of the fact that you're loved. And our kids, our grandchildren, they know they're loved and they're expecting presents. You are loved, I am loved, and we can receive this free gift of the Holy Spirit, not based upon what we've done. If it was based upon what we've done, none of us, not one of us, could ever earn our salvation. Salvation is a free gift, and so is the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus calls him the helper. Why is he called the helper? Because if you're anything like me, the Christian life isn't easy. It's not easy to live a life which is pleasing to God because we slip up, we make mistakes. And we're, we, we, we think, oh, why did I say that? But we're told that the Holy Spirit is here to help us. He's an advocate. He's one who, who speaks almost like, as it were, on our behalf to help us know how to live this Christian life. I cannot do it in my own strength. It's impossible. I need the Holy Spirit. And I was saying to Anne this morning, I said, oh, I've preached this three times. I really need help. I need the Holy Spirit's help. I don't want it to become dry. I need the Holy Spirit in everything that I do. I need the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. And so do you. Don't think you can do it on your own. You can't. Jesus said he would not leave us on our own. And uh, we, we need to recognize how he comes to help us and to release us. And then... If uh, he, he is, he's a, a gift, he wants to relate to us in such a way. And uh, there's, there's things that we need to, to learn to do as to how we relate to him. So we need to relate to him first and foremost. Because he is God, we need to relate to him as a person. This is who God is. I just said this, the Holy Spirit is a person. And as we've seen, God wants to relate to us as a, the person of the Holy Spirit. If you uh, look at Ephesians 4, uh, there's this uh, verse in Ephesians it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, two things going on here. One is when we receive the Spirit of God, it's almost like a seal, this guarantee. You are a child of God. When we came to Christ and the Holy Spirit was at work, it was this like rubber stamp. You are a child of God. But it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, the thing is, you can't grieve a force, but you can grieve a person. And you grieve a person by not, um, not doing the things that you know they like you to do, not relating in the way that, that have you relate. We need to recognize the Holy Spirit longs to relate to us. If Jesus said he'd not leave us alone, but send the Holy Spirit, then we need to recognize that that he wants to relate to us by his Spirit. He wants to have a relationship with us. And then in doing that, we want to be filled with him. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, and recognize that God comes to, to, to fill us by his Spirit. So when we we seek God, we say, I need to, 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 to know you. I need to be filled. And you don't get, um, it's interesting here actually, because there's a verse in Scripture in Ephesians 5. It says this Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the disciples, when the Holy Spirit was poured out as they were waiting in the upper room, there were those who said, They're drunk. And of course the response was, no, they can't be drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's interesting that it should be suggested the disciples were drunk. Why is that? Because when you're filled with the Spirit, it can almost look like these people are drunk. They've lost it. When we experience the outpouring of the Spirit of God, and there was a bit of it this morning, full of joy, we can get quite excitable. And that's why we're called to be filled with the Spirit. Because the thing about being filled with the Spirit, it's enjoying the presence of God. It's experiencing God. The thing with being drunk with wine, it only leads to one place, one horrible hangover. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what it leads to is life and joy. And God wants us to experience life and joy totally in its fullness. And we need to be those who love to be filled with the Spirit of God. So it may seem strange to use this analogy of being drunk, but you know, God wants us to enjoy the Christian life. He doesn't want us to find it a drudgery. He wants to enjoy Him. And the Spirit comes to bring life, to breathe life upon us. We enjoy Him, and sometimes our meetings can be a bit excitable. You know, I'm not ashamed of that because I want to get excited about what Jesus has done in my life. I'm excited that I have got uh, life in him. And so when we come together this evening, it may well be pretty excitable. And I'm not worried about that because there's something very special about being filled with the Spirit of God. That's what God does. Then there's a third thing. We want to avoid legalism. Look at this, Galatians 3 verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, the thing is this. We cannot please God by doing things. We can't please God by being religious on the outside but dead on the inside. We please God by being full of the Spirit of God. Not by doing, but by being. Not by me trying, but by him enabling me and helping me by his Spirit. And we're made right with God through Jesus, and continue to do so by an ongoing relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. Times in my life when it's been hard and dry have been those times when I'm not drinking, I'm not allowing the Spirit to guide me. When I go through things legalistically, thinking I must do this to please God, I must do that, it becomes very, very hard work. But when I'm filled with the Spirit, there's a joy and a wanting to do the things which please God. And so we're made right with God through Jesus, and we continue to be, live the Christian life through being uh, filled with the Spirit. And in this way, we avoid being legalistic. Now, the thing is, this is true of us as a church as well. So, this church is never going to stay the same. You know, there are times when we're not, we're not just not going to follow the same old traditions. You've changed the time of the meeting from 7.30 to 6.30. <laughs> Joe, what are you doing? We've always started the meeting at 7.30. And now you're changing it to 6.30. But, you know, we can get to that sort of way of thinking. How can you possibly change things? You know, some of us don't like change. But when the Spirit of God comes and we allow our traditions to be challenged, there may be times when things don't stay the same. And those can be the most exciting times. Because God wants to do something fresh and do something new amongst us. We want to be open to the Spirit and not down to dead tradition. We are open to change. A Spirit-led church will not remain static. It will be forever on the move and forever changing as God uh, guides us. May we always be a church open to the Spirit's leading. Amen. And then next, we come thirsty. John 7 37 to 39. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. When we come to God, we need to come thirsty for Him, um, to delight in Him, and to love to worship Him. So c- coming tonight, it's going to become, I'm thirsty for more of God. I want more of God in my life. Because I know when I have more of God, then I'm more fulfilled. And out of our innermost being, it says here, will flow streams of living water. Now, Anne and I, we like to go for walks. And a few weeks ago, we went up over the downs uh, by the Lavant. And the Lavant is a river which only flows at certain times of the year, normally in winter, I believe, uh, when the, you know, it comes down from the downs and it, sort of, it trickles down through the chalk and comes eventually through the river, through the, uh, uh, the lavender and it fills up. So I thought, yeah, but surely, we've had so much rain over the summer, surely the, the lavender will be flowing. And we got there and it wasn't, and it was dry and there's weeds And there's nothing worse than seeing a riverbed which has not got got any water in it. Because rivers are designed to have water flowing through them. And you and I are designed by God to have the spirit of the living God flowing out through us. When we come thirsty and allowing the rivers of living water to flow, we'll be refreshed, we'll be joyful, we'll be full of life. Rivers are meant to be full of life. You and I are meant to flow with the Spirit of God welling up from within us. Then what else, what other ways should we relate to him? Well, well, finally, we receive his gifts. And 1 Corinthians 12 says this, verses 4 to 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Holy Spirit is a gift. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but he's also a gift giver. So he comes to distribute gifts amongst his people, and he he distributes different kinds of gifts, To the church. And it's all for God's glory, not ours. Not yours, not mine. It's to the glory of God. That's why we love to be a spirit-filled church. And the gifts that he gives, what you receive, may be totally different to me. We're different personalities, different ways in which God's created us. But the Holy Spirit comes to distribute different kinds of gifts. There are some gifts which you might call more natural gifts, whether it be gifts of administration or hospitality. But there's others, more supernatural gifts. And some of those we've experienced this morning, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But there's, there, there can be tongues, interpretation of tongues. There can be prophecy, different kinds of, of supernatural gifts. But in all of them, God is a giver. And we are a people who need each other because of different gifts he's given us. And that's why being part of a body, part of the body of Christ... And I'm sure we'll cover this more in another value which we touch on in a few weeks' time of fellowship. But part of being the body of Christ is we need one another and the, the gifts that God has given. And he's the one who distributes them. And there's lots of different kinds of gifts, but we need them for the burning up of the church. None of us have all the gifts that the Holy Spirit comes to give. But we should eagerly desire to receive the gifts which he longs to, to give to each one of us. Now, as I start to draw this to a close, what difference does this make? What difference does it make to us as a church? Well, you could say it makes a difference in absolutely everything. In the same way that we love and value the word of God to teach us in every area of our lives, both individually and as a church, so the working of the Holy Spirit should make a difference in absolutely every area of our lives, both individually and as a church. And as elders, we do seek the guidance of the Spirit in our leading, in our preaching, in our praying, in our mission, in everything. We want to be a Spirit-led people. And there's not time to go into all of this right now. But as you read the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit guided the early church in so many different areas. And he continues to guide us today. Now, I'm not saying that we're there. We want to be a church which is forever open and sensitive to the Spirit's guidance. And that's where we want to focus in our values. So let's look at another v- verse. And as, we, as I draw this to, to a close, I want to home in a bit on our worship. And that might help us to see a bit in the way in which the Holy Spirit is at work amongst us. So 1 Corinthians 14, 16, uh, 26 to 28 What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians to bring correction in a number of areas in how they worshipped when they gathered together. And the the Corinthians were a very enthusiastic bunch. And there's an interesting thing here. I mentioned earlier about Galatians. Um, Paul really challenged the church in Galatia because they'd gone into legalism, and he was really hard on them. Because they become so legalistic, trying to fulfill the Christian life through dead traditions and were not being filled, if you like, with the Spirit. To the Corinthian church, if you read the, the 1 Corinthians, he starts off, I thank God for you, for the grace of God at working amongst you. And so he was so thankful that the Corinthian church are full of the Spirit. But actually, they got a bit wild. And if you, if you look at this, you see this enthusiastic bunch of, of Corinthians. They were a bit all over the place, speaking across each other when they got together in their meetings. Uh, one speaking in tongues, another speaking in tongues, another prophecy. It was a bit chaotic. And I don't actually think that's our danger <laughs> as a church. But there are two extremes that can, that can happen in the church. One is you ignore the Holy Spirit completely. And churches can go through a religious exercise of traditions, but there's no sense of the presence of God because this is the way we do it. We set our traditions and you go through the same rote and there's no sense of God's presence. And I was brought up in a church like that. And then there's the other extreme where things are happening right, left and centre and it feels chaotic uh, where you've got someone speaking a tongue, another one interpreting, another one bringing prophecy, another one speaking over that... And I went to a church like that once, and that was also chaotic. Neither of those, those extremes are right. But we want to be a church where it's sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. And this passage makes clear that there is a certain way of things working when we come together as a church... Uh, where the Spirit of God is at work amongst us. And it's not down to any one individual to contribute to the worship. We should all come expectant, worshipping together, because we need one another. And as you look through this passage, you see different things come through. So the first is a hymn. So when Toby prepared the worship list this morning of songs, I'm pretty sure he didn't just go through a list of songs and Oh, I fancy that one. No, I fancy that one. No, don't. i fancy that. And I reckon that he prayed, and I reckon that he sought God, and then he came up with what he felt God was saying he was going to do. So that when we came this morning, there's a list of songs, and it led us in a certain way. Now, also, there may be occasions where God speaks to an individual, and I've been in situations like this before, and I'd encourage it you, that you, you have a sense of a, a spiritual song, a hymn. An individual might sing out, that is how the Holy Spirit will lead some people. So there's different ways in which the Spirit of God is at work when, when we gather. We want to be spirit-led in our worship, not just a set of, by rote of songs. And then, secondly, there may be a word of instruction. And we do see this fairly regularly. People come forward and they sense that God has given them a particular scripture to read. And we trust. It's not just any old scripture, but it fits in line with how God is leading us in our, in our worship. And then a revelation. And we saw an example of that this morning. That as you're worshipping, the Holy Spirit speaks to an individual and really stirs them. And, and Sally came forward this morning with, with that word about uh, an individual. She felt really stirred by. And if that is you, it's because God loves you and he wants to, to touch your life. A spirit-led gathering of worship like that is where God is speaking to different individuals as he spoke to Sally. And then Ian thinks, oh, I need to share because you don't know this. My life used to be like this. And then God broke in and changed it like that. This is the Holy Spirit at work amongst us as each are contributing and bringing different things. And then lastly, in this particular section, a tongue or an interpretation. Now, occasionally we do, do have this. And a tongue is a heavenly language which has not been learnt. It's a gift of the Spirit. And it's directed towards God. It's a prayer. A tongue towards God of, of uh, thanksgiving and praise. And then an interpretation is when someone will bring what they feel that individual is saying. I, I'll just get, briefly give a, a personal example of this. Um, I know that I have that gift and also the gift of interpretation. But some years ago, we were going to be moving church. And I knew that it was time for us to move on. And I'd been awake virtually the previous night working through these things. We've got to leave this church. And at the time, we had our family all close together. We were a close family. And I was going through my mind. I was thinking, oh, but what about the house? What about my salary? What about my family? All these three things are going through my mind. Then the next day, Sunday morning, I was leading the meeting. And I don't necessarily go and see this, but it's the right thing to do. But anyway, there I was, leading the meeting. And I bought this tongue. And then the interpretation was, Lord, I thank you that my life is built upon the rock of Christ, that my hope is not in my house. My hope is not in my salary. My hope is not in my family, but my hope is in Christ. Now, I didn't feel that at the time. I didn't feel like that at all the previous night. But when I brought this tongue and then they interpretation, I thought, wow. Now, it certainly blessed me. I was going ballistic about it. I was blessed. But when we bring a tongue or interpretation, it is to bring focus and worship to God. And I encourage us to keep on moving on in those gifts. Some of you have it. We need to step out. And we, we see in this passage in, in, in 1 Corinthians, it says this. Um, verse 13, for this reason, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what they say. So, if you have a gift of a tongue, the expectation would be that you're able to interpret. You know, and I think that was certainly true of me. There's a heart in which I was bringing this tongue. I sort of sensed what I was going to say, in you know, what I was feeling. Um, but obviously, you, you want sometimes the, the supernatural nature of the gift is for someone else to bring you interpretation. And that happened on this occasion. But then it says in verse 28, If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in church and speak to himself and to God. Uh, Now that sounds a bit scary. But the reality is things to be done in order for the building up of the church. And we should desire and keep seeking God for a work of the Spirit so that these sort of gifts are manifested in our gathering together when we come together to worship. And then lastly, it says this in verse 33, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So the Apostle Paul is sort of bringing this this correction, really, as to how worship should be conducted and the expectations. And the reason we have a meeting leader is not that we want to try and stop what's happening within the church, or people bringing gifts. We have a meeting leader so we can try and sort of monitor, as it were, and guide so there's not one after the other after the other, but that we are doing things in order. I don't think, again, as I say, this is our danger. I think our danger as a church is that we're not moving out in the gifts that God has given. I think there's many people here who have got spiritual gifts, and you're too afraid to bring them. And I'd argue, no, come on, you're depriving the rest of us when you don't step out. And the thing is fear. We're afraid of what others might think. We're afraid that I will look stupid. But it's not for you. I don't, actually, I don't always like standing up front. That's a surprise to you, isn't it? But I don't, it's true. I don't always like standing up front because the focus comes on me. But the reason that God pours out his Holy Spirit is not that the focus should be on me, but the focus should be upon Jesus, to lift him up and to bring worship and praise to him. So, As I conclude, and perhaps if the band could come up, I or Toby should come up, who prepared in prayer earlier. (laughs) I want to, uh, I, I just want to ask these two questions. If you have never received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5 18, which we covered earlier, says, Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command, be filled. If you're a believer, God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. If you're not a believer, God wants to reveal himself to you so that you too would say, I want to put my trust in Jesus because he gives life. So I I would encourage you, if you've never been filled with the Spirit, you've never experienced this infilling of the Spirit, let's be open to being filled with the Spirit now. And then 1 Corinthians 12.31 says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. We need to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Not for my own benefit, but for the glory of Jesus and his church. So let's stand together. And Now there may be some of you who really would like specific prayer for this. And if you really would like prayer to be filled with the Spirit, I'd encourage you to come forward. There'll be people who will be only too happy to pray for you. If you know that God has given you gifts, and perhaps they've become dull and dry, God wants to stir that up again within you and to release you in spiritual gifts that you might eagerly desire. And if that's you, I'd also like to pray for you. So if you feel bold and you want to come to the front, I'd encourage you to do that. But we all, every single one of us, need to be filled. So we're going to worship together and ask the Spirit of God to come upon us and to fill us afresh as a church. Let's do that.